Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Our daughter Adeline has this game that she likes to play when we're driving in the car. Uh, she'll, she'll ask a question, um, if I were a blank, what would I be? And, and so you can fill that, that blank in with anything and everything. I mean, like we'll be driving along the road and she'll see something and she'll be like, if I were a flower, what kind of flower would I be? If I were a car, what kind of car would I be? And then we kind of take turns going around uh, in the car and answering that question for one another. If I were a color, so on, so forth. One of her favorites is if I were a dog, what kind of dog would I be? And, and then a couple of weeks ago, we were playing this game and she asked the question, um, if I were a punctuation, what would I be? And before I could even get the answer out of my mouth, because I was, I was laughing, uh, she said, I think I would be a question mark. And I said, yeah, I, I think that you're right. I think that you probably would. Uh, we're kind of in that stage of life. Our girls are eight and nine years old. They ask questions all the time. You know, they're just trying to figure out the world around them. And so they're asking all of these questions, just inundating us constantly. And, and, and a couple of weeks ago, uh, my daughter, Nora, was asking me a lot of questions about faith. This has kind of been something that, that she's been more and more curious about, what we believe, why we believe it, who else believes it. And we were driving home from church one Sunday morning and Nora was kind of quiet contemplating and I, and I said, what are you thinking about, sweetie? And she said, well, Daddy, is, is everyone a Christian? And I said, well, no, not really. And we talked about, you know, some people don't believe in God. Uh, some people... Uh, you know, they have other religions. Uh, some people just don't really know what to think. And so they don't really believe anything at all. And then she asked, well, are more people Christians than who are not Christians? And so if you kind of look at it globally, it might be, you know, about 50-50. It's, it's close. But, you know, we live in a time where a lot of people are choosing for whatever reason to, to walk away from, from faith, to, to not be a Christian anymore. And she asked, well, why wouldn't somebody want to be a Christian? And so we talked again about, well, some people just don't believe that, that God exists. Started talking about, you know, some people just, they've been through a lot of pain and, and hurt in their life. And they, they feel like God maybe caused that. Maybe the church even inflict some, some pain. And so they've just kind of walked away or chosen not to, believe anymore. And she thought about that for a little bit. And she said, 
I think some people are just afraid to say that they're Christians. I thought, you know, you're probably not wrong about that either. The apostle Peter knows what that's, that's like, to be afraid, to be ashamed even of the name of Jesus. You go back to the, the night that Jesus was arrested. You know, Peter, who, who wrote these letters that we've been spending the last 10 weeks going through, Peter was, was standing by this fire and, and Jesus had just told him, you're gonna, you're gonna deny even knowing me three times. And Peter stood very brash and bold and said, never, Lord, that will never happen. And, and as he's standing by this fire at night after Jesus has been arrested, this little girl standing with him said, hey, aren't you one of them? Aren't, aren't you one of his followers? And, and Peter's response was, nope, not me. Never, never seen the guy. And before the night was over, three times, Peter had denied even knowing Jesus. He, he was afraid of what other people would think about him and, and maybe even beyond that, what other people might do to him. He, he saw what they were doing to Jesus in that moment and he tried to separate himself from that as much as he possibly could. And instead of standing with Jesus, Peter turned his back and, and hid. He was ashamed of the name of Christ. And in that moment, he watched from a distance as Jesus suffered and was crucified and died. By God's grace, that wasn't the end of the story for Peter. Jesus saw something in Peter that Peter didn't see in himself. And, and around a fire one morning, which I imagine just had to have brought Peter right back to that place where he had denied even knowing Jesus, he and Jesus shared a beachside breakfast. And in that moment, Jesus lovingly restored him, gave him a mission said, it doesn't matter what your failure has been. I'm not done with you yet. My grace has the final word, not your denial of me. And then he told Peter that his faith that was once cowardly would be courageous even to the point of his own death. And 30 years later, after suffering for the name of Jesus that he had once denied, Peter writes in this letter to those who are going through difficult times and suffering because of their faith. And his, and his challenge to them and to us today is to not be ashamed. Do not give up. Do not give in. Do not be ashamed of the name of Christ on you. That's really what this section is, is all about. If you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 19 today. We're in the 11th week of this series going through First and, and Second Peter, and we've called this series Exiles because that's one of the ways and terms that Peter used, uses to, to identify who we are and how we are to relate to the world around us as, as exiles living in this world who, who are part of a greater kingdom, but who are living here in this world, earth, bringing that kingdom closer to the earth. And, and Peter is talking about suffering today specifically suffering because of our, our faith. And there are a couple of different types of suffering that, that Christians will experience as we kind of walk through this life. The, the first is just general suffering that is a result of living in a broken, fallen, sinful world. In, in a world that was not how God intended or designed for it to be. When, when God created everything, it was good, it was perfect, it was whole, 
there is peace between us and him, between us and, and, and others, between us and creation, even us within ourselves. Imagine that, walking and living in this life where, the, where there is complete peace and security in all of your relationships, even your relationship with yourself. That was the world as God intended it to be. And then sin entered into the picture. And all of a sudden, all of these things that were living in harmony were now broken. And now all of a sudden there's discord between us and God, between us and each other, between us and even in ourselves and, and creation. We, we've been living with the effects of a fallen world ever since. And, and so now we experience things that God never intended or wanted for us to experience because of sin that has just come in and broken the way that he designed it. And so we deal with things like cancer and disease and sickness and death and loss and depression and anxiety and chronic pain. And this is the type of suffering that everyone, regardless of faith, everyone, as we walk through this life, are going to experience it. You're, you're either experiencing it now, have just experienced it, or it's right on the horizon. Every single one of us, we cannot escape this world without going through some kind of pain and suffering. That's just a result. It's, it's just a result of living in a broken world. And so this is the type of suffering that, that everyone experiences. Christians are not immune to it, but it's also not unique to us. But then there's another kind of suffering that is unique and specifically because of our faith. And not like, ah, oh, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. I'm suffering for Jesus. <laughs> That's suffering that we all experience. <laughs> I'm talking about like persecution. The kind of suffering that is unique, that is specifically because your faith in Jesus, suffering that you would not experience apart from Christ. This is the kind of suffering that Peter writes to us about today. And he writes some really kind of surprising things, not just about suffering, but how we are to walk through it. And he starts off with this in verse 12. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter tells us, don't be surprised by this. And, and up to this point, for his original audience, they had lived, been able to kind of move freely in their faith without a whole lot of persecution. There was, there was kind of pockets of it, especially in, in Jerusalem. But as, as Christianity kind of spread and, and went out through the region, it, Christianity was just kind of seen as a sect of Judaism. Jews were allowed to worship freely, and so Christians were just kind of left on their own. They were kind of this marginalized, fringe little community that, that didn't seem to be causing anybody any problems. And so for the most part, everyone just, just let, them, let them be. But all of that was about ready to change. Around this time, when, when Peter wrote these, these letters, there was a fire that swept through Rome, destroyed nearly the entire city. And, and the emperor Nero began to look for a scapegoat, someone to blame this on, to kind of take the pressure off of himself. And so he was looking around and he's like, I'll, I'll pin it on them. And he pointed to the Christians. And, and this opened up th this, this type of persecution that, that came from, you know, not just from around them, but now from above them. And, and once that, once it became like government approved to persecute Christians, it just opened the door wide up for, for this kind of marginalized sect to become the source of persecution. Nero famously even 
lighting his garden at night with the burning bodies of Christians, which I think is an allusion to what Peter says in verse 12, talking about the fiery ordeal that they're going through. And I think what Peter is is telling them and he's telling us is, listen, don't get caught off guard like I did. Yeah, I imagine he's, he's going back in his mind to, to that place around the fire, the night of Jesus' trial, and he's just completely unaware of what was happening around him, totally just discombobulated. And, and, and when, when he was starting to get called out, hey, aren't you one of him? Aren't you one of him? He's looking and he's seeing what is happening to Jesus. And he's like, nope, I don't want anything to do with that. And he separated himself and he, it caught him off guard. And he's like, listen, don't get caught off guard like I was. Don't be surprised when this happens. We should expect this type of suffering for our faith. Why in the world would Peter say that? Well, I think one, it's because it's what he heard Jesus teach. And two, it's what he saw Jesus experience. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 11, that this will happen. He says, blessed are you when, notice not if, when, People insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Later in John 15, 20, Jesus says, if they persecuted me, and they did, they will persecute you also. And so Peter says, don't be surprised when this happens. And he's he's pulling back into what he heard Jesus teach and what he saw him Experience. And if our lives are being traced over, remember we talked about that, being traced over the life of Jesus to where our lives look like him's, then we can expect that we are going to begin to live out what he taught and what he experienced as well. And that includes even suffering for our faith. Now, by God's grace, we live in a country where we don't have to worry about going to jail or being assaulted because of our our faith. I'm not worried about my wife and kids being kidnapped because I preach the the name of Jesus, But, but there are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that are gathering for worship just like we are right now, that that this this is part of their reality. This is a fear that they have, some of them even daily, of what it is gonna cost them to follow Jesus. And even in our own country, we're starting to see signs that, that our culture is not as friendly towards our faith as it used to be. And so what do we do when we experience persecution for the name of Jesus? Do, do we just further isolate ourselves, trying to separate ourselves, avoid it, and lose our mission to the very ones that we have been sent out to reach? Do we just kind of conform to the culture around us try to fit in, try to take the spotlight off of ourselves, just kind of go right in with the flow? Do we fight against it and view the ones that we're called to love as our enemies instead? Do we vilify them and try to combat them? Do we do what Nora said and just give up and abandon our faith because we're afraid of what others might think about us? Throughout the century, Christians have taken these different types of approaches, but in our text, I think Peter gives us some surprising ways to respond to those times when we suffer for our faith. And the first one is to rejoice. Don't be surprised by it. Instead, rejoice in it. And I gotta be honest, that's like not my first reaction. (laughs) 
If I experience injustice, if I see others experience it, my first reaction is to fight back and and to defend. But if you read through the book of Acts, that's not what you see. In fact, when you read through the book of Acts, the most common reaction when they experienced suffering because of their faith was not to fight back, but to rejoice. To rejoice because people saw Jesus in them and that they were able to participate in his suffering. And because of that, they were able to experience the the presence and the grace of Jesus in ways that they could not have experienced it apart from their suffering. They were able to identify with him in a very real way and and learn how to lean into him and trust him. They were able to come to that conclusion where they said, give me Jesus above any, you can have all of this world, just give me Jesus. The apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8, 17, we go through exactly what Christ goes through. There, There again, there's that assurance that we will experience what Christ experienced But here's the promise. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly gonna go through the good times with him too. Our faith gives us this eternal perspective that goes so far beyond what happens to us in this life, in the here and in in the now. And so when we suffer for our faith, we can rejoice knowing that, that if we share in his sufferings in this life, then we will certainly share in his glory in the life to come. And so Peter tells us to rejoice. But I think he also tells us to use suffering as an opportunity to examine our life, examine your life. If you're suffering, examine why. Is it just natural consequences of your own actions? (laughs) And we're all guilty of that every now and then, aren't we? Like, ah, I'm suffering. And then we look at him like, oh, that's because I did that really dumb thing (laughs) back there. Do you have a habit of making poor decisions that, that just get you caught in the same rut over and over, dealing with the same pain because of that choice? Do you, you have this habit of lashing out at others or always having to have the final word? Maybe you always see yourself as the victim and others have had to put boundaries up around you to protect themselves from you and you wonder why all of your relationships are are a mess. Sometimes we suffer just because of the consequences of our own actions and so we need to look in the mirror and maybe the person looking back at us is gonna say, you know, there's maybe some things that you need to work on and change and adjust and repent from. So sometimes we suffer because of our own choices. And sometimes we suffer again just because we live in this broken, fallen world where our bodies fail us, people fail us. There's no rhyme or reason to it. God's not punishing us. There's no one's out to get us. It's just something that happened and now we're left trying to figure out how in the world to to deal with it. In those times, it's easy to get caught up in this trap of, of asking looking for reasons, looking for someone or something to to blame. But instead of asking why, I I I think God wants us to ask what? What does he want me to learn through this? What does he want to do in me and through me when I suffer? And and so if you're in that place right now where like life is just hard and and it's just as a result of these bodies or this world or these people and relationships that fail us, 
and look internal and see, God, what do you want to do in me and how do you want to use this? How do you want to redeem this for your glory and for someone else's and maybe even my own good? Maybe as you examine the source of your suffering, you realize it is directly because of your faith. And Peter says, listen, if you are suffering as a Christian, don't be ashamed of the charges that they bring against you. You see, the the term that the Christian that Peter uses here, it's only used a few times in the New Testament. And two of those times it's used as an accusation. And so you'll, you'll notice here that Peter lumps it in. And if you go back into verse 15, he lumps it in with, with other criminal charges like murder and thief and criminal. He even points to meddler, like the, the person that just trouble always seems to follow. He says, listen, if you're going to be accused of something, if they're going to take you to trial, if they're going to take you to court, don't let it be because of something that you've done. Let it be because of the name of Jesus that is on you, because they have slapped the label Christian on you. Don't be ashamed of that. Take pride in it because they see Christ in you. And if that's why you're suffering, instead of getting mad or getting even or trying to figure out how to to, to fight back, Peter says, let it lead you to compassion to those who persecute you. Let it lead you to compassion because they don't have the hope that you have in Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 17. And 18. These are some tricky verses. It says, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Let's kind of stop right there when he says it's time for judgment to come on God's household. He means in this time, in this era, in this age, right now, as we live in this world, There's going to be judgment coming from our culture onto us. This is what this time is. Judgment is going to come on God's household. But if it comes on us, what is it gonna be like for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And he points to a future time. And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? See, salvation is as easy as putting your faith and your trust in Jesus, but living out that salvation can be difficult sometimes. Sometimes it's just a a challenge. We're fighting against our flesh. Sometimes it's it's because others are fighting against us and, and there is persecution because of our faith. And Peter is telling us that even though the righteous suffer in this life right now, the wicked will suffer in the life to come. And so let God, let God take revenge, not you. The argument of this verse is that if God allows a fiery trial for his children right now and they are saved with difficulty, what will happen to the lost sinners who persecute you, who mock you, who belittle you for your faith? What will happen to them when God's fiery judgment falls? And so instead of being moved to revenge or to anger, Peter encourages us to be moved towards compassion to those who persecute us because they do not have the hope or the assurance or the confidence that we have because of our faith. Be moved to the same compassion that led Jesus to pray over his executors, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
And yet again, Jesus point, Peter points to Jesus as our example to follow. The last thing Peter tells us to do is commit yourself to God when you suffer. And think about the very last words of Jesus on the cross. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. And Peter doesn't just tell us to commit ourselves to God. He also tells us how to do it. If you have your, your Bibles open, look at verse 19. He says, so then, those who suffer according to God's will, meaning you're, you're suffering not, not because of all of the other reasons or your own consequences or just because you live in this world, but, but you're, you're suffering because you're faithful to, to God. You should commit yourself then, commit themselves to their faithful creator. And here's the last little surprise that Peter has for us. And continue to do good. According to Peter, we commit ourselves to the Father by doing good for others. Our good actions, even towards those who persecute us, prove our faithfulness to our creator. Peter tells us not to let our suffering for our faith change who we are in Christ, to continue to serve, to continue to love, not to give up. Don't give in. Don't go to their level. Instead, continue to do good for others. You have a living hope. Your life is safe because it is being built on the cornerstone of Christ. Even if they take your physical life, your eternal life is secure. And so you have nothing to fear, nothing to lose, nothing to prove. And so Peter is able to tell us multiple times throughout this letter, stand strong, stand strong. Don't lose sight of eternity because of the temporary circumstances right in front of you. Commit to the Father and continue to do good for others, even if they don't do good to you. This is how we are to live as exiles in this world, and it is so countercultural that it can only come from a heart that has been changed and transformed by Jesus. Because we know that we belong to a greater kingdom, one that cannot be taken from us, even if they take our lives. And we have hope that one day we will see the promises of Revelation 21.4 revealed. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Until that day, when God renews and restores all things, until that day, we will continue to experience heartache and suffering in this world. But the promise that we have in Christ is that we will never walk alone. We will never be abandoned to ourselves. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, giving us strength and comfort and courage to press on, giving us the confidence to say, give me Jesus. Come what may, give me Jesus. Would you stand with me as I pray? Jesus, thanks for modeling this kind of surrender to us. Thank you for your willingness to give yourself for us, to show us what it looks like to walk through suffering and trials with grace and with dignity and 
with a desire for more people to find salvation. Lord, give us courage as we go through this life. It, it can be difficult sometimes. Sometimes we feel alone. Sometimes we wonder, is it worth it? Sometimes our faith puts us to where we feel like we're swimming upstream and it can just be exhausting and, and difficult. Lord, give us the courage to continue to, to move towards you. And as we do, Father, I just pray that, that people, even if they accuse us of whatever they may accuse us of, that, Lord, they will see you in us and in the way that we live and love others and the way that we even treat them and love them as well. Father, may our heart be aligned with yours and may we just desire for more people to come to know, love, and follow Jesus and find a hope that we have found in him as well. So Lord, use us, use our lives, use our church as a testimony of your grace. And Father, when we walk through that fiery ordeal, may it just bring us closer to you and to each other. Thank you, Lord, that we are never alone, that you never leave us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.